Welcome to Conversamos. My name is Francisco Escobar, and I'm the host and content creator of this show. Today, we'll be discussing about COVID-19 one year later. How has this pandemic affected the Latina population? How has local and federal government, past and present, responded to this pandemic? And where do we go from here? All here on Conversamos. Yo, is it that wrong? I'm making a song, taking it back for the platform that I formed. Music's helping me transform. Before we begin, we would like to give a fundraising spotlight to Tampa Mutual Aid, a Florida-based fundraising initiative that seeks to support each woman of the Circle of Mothers of Tampa for a session of relaxation and restoration. Venmo them at mutual aid underscore pop-up. That is Tampa Mutual Aid underscore pop-up. Now with our first question to our panelists, what is your COVID-19 experience thus far? Before COVID, uh, I had been out of work for a good seven months. I got laid off uh, from Chicago Public Schools uh, due to like budgetary reasons. So about like 900 or so um, special education teachers just got let go because we had a new mayor. Uh, so from that point, uh, just looking for work, looking for work, ended up working uh, at ACHE, a complete career shift because I had been working and teaching for so long. I haven't been in the corporate world in so many years. So I started in February and then a couple weeks later, COVID-19 happens, cancels a lot of our uh, events, um, shifts the whole uh, office paradigm to virtual um, and, uh, I've been flourishing in that realm, um, as far as just, uh, family wise though, because I am currently, uh, with my family, uh, it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying because we didn't know where to get our masks, uh, best ways, best practices to maintain, um, just health wise, um, spraying our, uh, groceries, um, and yeah, just uh, just a constant fear, really. Um, and then it really didn't hit for us uh, until my uh, my step grandmother passed away due to COVID in Mexico, um, and that was because uh, over there they were really not following any any protocol. So she caught it, and within like seven two hours she had passed away, and that really affected the whole family dynamic here. We were a lot, lot more cautious. I mean, we were cautious, but you know, we still hugged, we still th did that kind of stuff um, with our, in our own pod. After that, we, we did a, a full shift, made sure like everyone is, is following like the best practices as much as we could. Um, and then so far, uh, everyone's been healthy. I've received my first vaccine, Pfizer. Um, and yeah, I'm just looking forward towards more of the future and uh, fingers crossed, uh, not another COVID-20 happens uh, in my lifetime or we can uh, have the best practice possible for when, if that does happen, um, this year does not, 2020 does not get repeated. Uh, let's see, um, <clears throat> you know, since COVID hit, I've been pretty much isolated, you know, I really, was only seeing um, my partner at the time. Um, then I started, my sister was pregnant. And so I started spending time with her and her husband. Um, my parents also spent some time with us. My parents are, you know, uh, immigrants. Um, so they're very, very super cautious. Like we coming from anywhere, my mom already had like a bottle of Purell to like 
wipe your hands down and everything. So we have been pretty lucky. We did have one family member who uh, was diagnosed with COVID. Um, luckily, they didn't have any uh, strong symptoms where they needed to be hospitalized or, you know, they just quarantined and uh, by the grace of God, all things turned out well with them. So we've been lucky in that aspect. And now my parents are vaccinated. So, you know, hopefully soon, you know, I'll get vaccinated myself and um, looking forward to at some point later this year where um, we have the opportunity to have a bit more semblance of our former lives. Um, but who knows how things are going right now. You know, cases on uptick. So, you know, just fingers crossed on everything. Um, if you hear helicopters and stuff, I live literally right next to our capital and there's a lot of protests and stuff happening right now. So there's helicopters and sirens and a whole bunch of shit. So welcome to St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, it's been fucking crazy. So, you know, um, like I said, I'm a caseworker and I live in St. Paul. Um, Minneapolis is right across our river. Two different counties, so fucking different. Um, so I was used to being a teacher and doing educator. I was a science teacher and doing stuff in St. Paul. Um, and St. Paul Public Schools was not paying me enough. So unfortunately, I was like, I need to move on. So I started a job right before the pandemic happened as a caseworker over in Minneapolis and in that county over there. Um, and then six months later, and the, the George Floyd thing happens. And so that shut down a lot of so the protests um, and riots and looting and everything took place on, on our north side and our south side of Minneapolis. And those are, the north side is predominantly a black community and our south side is predominantly uh, Latinx. There's black folks, immigrants. It's like one of our most diverse areas of the city. Um, all our groceries got shut down. All our grocery stores got shut down. Our buses got shut down. So everything that had kind of reopened um, a little bit or that was needed because of the pandemic was completely shut down. So now we have two crises happening. Um, and I work with families that have youth in the juvenile justice system. Um, and that requires a lot because usually, usually they like housing. They just like food, just basic stuff like that. Um, which in turn is why kids are on the verge of being in, in the justice system because they just kind of turn to the streets to do things. Um, and the mayor was just not handling it very well. Um, he just wasn't. And Everyone looks at our mayor as like this liberal, amazing white man who is just doing so much. He's so young. He's so cute. He's so this. And I hate going on social media and seeing people from out of state look at him like he's like the best thing ever. He sucks. Um, and so there was just a lot of protests and stuff happening with that. Um, so for me, work never really stopped. Um, it looked different because I was no longer able to go to the government center and go inside. Um, part of it was shut down. Part of it was broken into. Um, and so, again, it was just a lot happening. Families didn't really know what to do. Families were scared. Um, the pandemic during these uprisings kind of got pushed to the side. Um, we kind of forgot about it. It was just about community. So there was fires everywhere. Um, literally everything was on fire and the firefighters wouldn't come help us. So it got to the point where communities were literally getting together, carrying these big ass hoses down the street and just like putting out fires by ourselves. Um, cars were being broken into. So neighborhoods started um, doing like 
overnight shifts of like protecting each neighborhood, make, making sure that nothing was happening because yes, it was a lot of us that were angry and a lot, a lot of us that have had it with the city because the city has a lot of fucking racism. Um, so when it comes to wealth disparities, education disparities, we're top five um, worst in the state. I think we're actually number two. Um, and people don't think of that because we're in the North and we always think of racism existing in the South. Um, but no, we're, we're terrible. Um, and so... Um, this has been a thing that has been boiling to this point. Um, and so I wasn't surprised because I'm someone that has been working to, with these issues for a while. Um, but a lot of white people were surprised that this was happening. Um, and because it was happening, there's a lot of people from out of town that were coming in and causing these de destructions. So um, it was a lot. Um, and now things are, they still kind of are bad um, for my work right now. A lot of my clients, need rent support and that's the main thing and it's really hard to find but we're doing really well when it comes to vaccines so as of this this week anyone 16 and up is eligible and we have vaccines for almost everybody so we're doing really good on that at least my second one just a couple hours ago <laughs> yeah, yeah trooper. <laughs> um so fun so thank you so much lupita because you also highlight your your local um, politics and such. So for my next question, how did how not just the Trump administration handle COVID-19, but also how have your local politicians handle um, this pandemic? Uh, well, my experience, uh, it was awful with, with Trump being in the office um, and just, you know, no guidance from the government on that end. As far as uh, Chicago's politicians, uh, I think they did fairly well um, they closed everything. Um, whether or not uh, that was good for our economy, that's another thing entirely. But as far as safety-wise, um, I did. I do think they did the right choice. Um, I think they could have been improved on how we're doing, like virtual schooling. Um, but as far as uh, the our local politicians, I think they did really well. I think I'll, I'll start on the local side first because it's still kind of ongoing. I think local-wise uh, with New York, uh, well, I think Cuomo, I think there is a, the perception of how Cuomo did, especially in the beginning. And I think now that perception has changed. I think the veil has come down, um, you know, first with the delay in shutting the state down and in closing schools. I think it was a, a week or so after, or a couple of days after California, uh, the decision to send uh, COVID patients back to nursing homes and remove the liability shield um, from these corporations and then everything else after, like, oh, we keep finding out more and more about, you know, him doing favors for his family and um, people associated with him by getting them their samples of, or getting them tests and then their samples to be transported by New York State troopers. Like, <laughs> at a time when people in New York couldn't get a test, I remember when there were lines down the block for places to try to get in to get a test. And I think it's just been absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think even now, I think many people can kind of see how things are going in New York where 
for the longest time, it was like, all right, no movie theaters, no indoor group fitness classes. And with all these allegations and all, you know, this uh, political fire somebody's dealing with this, all of a sudden it's like, you can have your movie theaters, you can go back into classes. So it's been this kind of just really just the pit of political just corruption and how it's been handled in New York. On the outside for many people, it has looked good, but there's just been so many um, things that have gone wrong in New York, like so many lives lost that didn't need to be lost. And I think I always look back on it like that, like people died who didn't have to die. Whether you wanna look at like, oh, Cuomo did this wrong, this, that, in the end, people died that didn't have to die, you know? Um, and I look at on the overall scale when it comes to Trump, it, it, it's kind of the same thing, you know, people died who didn't have to die. Uh, however you look at Trump and the things he says or whatever, on the basic levels, he could have done just the simplest thing of, you know, encourage masks, simple things like that. But I also look at like, just overall, that I think one thing this pandemic has shown, unfortunately, but maybe fortunately in a way, that our government doesn't care about us. Not one bit at all. You know, it, it, just not one bit at all. No mask. I remember just watching news where it's like Spain, they were handing out free masks outside the metros over there. I'm like, and then I read about a plan for the postal service to ship masks, everyone canceled. Other countries guaranteeing payroll, 80, 85%, 90%. US, oh, you could just go on unemployment. Where so many unemployment systems are broke, don't work, are archaic. It was just one thing after the other that just, just reinforced for me why I need to leave. <laughs> and so my two-year plan is to get the hell out of here. I wish you all luck. Kevin. And so Lapita, and then also can you chime in on how is the Biden administration handling COVID-19? Okay. Um, if, I just don't understand how we just went through a pandemic and people still aren't radicalized. Um, I don't know what else we need to, what Kevin just said. I don't know what else we need to further prove that the government does not give a fuck about us. They just want us to work. And so um, with our local, like Trump, um, we already know he just undermined everything and it basically got us where we are. But um, locally, um, I mean, we did our best. <laughs> no, we didn't. There was no resources. It was just like, here's a mask. Maybe if you have access to our centers, get a mask. Um, and things got shut down, um, but then our governor got uh, pressured into reopening things pretty fast, so our shutdown didn't last. Um, we're only like, so St. Paul, where I'm at, um, we're only like 20 minutes away from Wisconsin. So it didn't really matter if we had things shut down or not, because everybody here was going to the bars in Wisconsin, because Wisconsin really did not give a fuck. Um, and so that was how a lot of uh, cases were going up, was because a lot of people in their 20s we're going to wisconsin just a little short 20 minute drive coming back and spreading it um and there was nothing against that um our schools opened up before all the teachers even got vaccinated um but like i said our vaccine rollout is a lot better now um but it's still just not 
you know, and the Biden administration, same thing. I mean, I'm pretty sure Harris had tweeted that we were going to get $2,000 a month. And even she had even said that even after the pandemic was quote unquote over because she knew that this was going to have long lasting effects. And I don't think anyone's talking about the long lasting effects. Um, and that should be more on the Biden administration now. And I don't I personally haven't seen anything or heard anything about what's going to be done once more people are vaccinated, because I know myself, I know my clients, we still got shit to pay. Um, and we're behind on a lot of stuff. Um, so. I don't think that they're handling it well at all. Thank you, and Ricardo. Uh, yeah, as far as the Biden administration, um, if I had to grade it, it's you know it's D minus to D plus. It, it, there's there's really no comparison. You really can't really compare too much because this is so new. But yes, uh, you know to to what Lupita said, you know. Uh, Trump completely undermined everything. So, but I, I do appreciate just on the face value that I do not have to worry about what did my president say on Twitter. I appreciate that very much, um, and I do like what he is talking about in terms of like, you know, um, the uh, student loan cancellation. It's terrible that it's taken a pandemic for that conversation to come to the forefront now. Um, but as as far as uh, in Chicago. The, what they've done with the National Guard and through the administration um, that everyone's been able to get vaccinated. Um, and, you know, it only took me 10 minutes from going into the gate to getting vaccinated. Um, I don't think it would have it would have been a lot worse without, you know, the, the Biden administration's help uh, with that. I think for me, I would look at it in, in, in two aspects when it comes to just handling COVID in terms of the vaccine rollout. Like, I, I think it's been good. I think it could be better. Like, I know they're touting like, oh, we're gonna get 200 million in less than you know 100 days. And I'm like, you probably always knew you'd get that. So you undersold it. So it looked really good for you when you got there. That's pretty much, that's how it works. That's how it is. Always, you know, say low so that when you overshoot, everyone's happy for you. Um, you know, my biggest issue with the Biden administration is that, you know, like what Peter was saying last year, especially, you know, during the summer, we had uprisings, we had protests, some violent, mostly peaceful, but we had people who were just really engaged. And now I feel everyone's gone back to sleep. They're just glad, like, you know, Ricardo said that I don't got to worry about hearing things on Twitter. Don't care. You know, you had people who were doing well during everything that happened last year. People who were working from home, making more money, where they were, whether they were in socks or they're like, hey, I don't have to go into the office. I don't have to spend as much. So I'm doing better. And the people who were doing bad then are still going to be doing bad now. You know, you have no rent relief. And I know a lot of people take issues with landlords because there are some really crappy landlords. But one thing that was reminded of me this week is kind of what happened after the housing crisis where landlords didn't get protection. So what happened is corporations came in and swooped up all these properties. And so what did they do? They ended up jacking up prices. And so I have a feeling not only are you going to have people facing eviction because, you know, there's no rent cancellation. You're also going to have homeowners and landlords are going to default 
corporations are going to come in and swoop in and buy. And it just strengthens the power of corporations. And I think this is very much what I look at as like the Biden administration is just like, we're going to appeal on certain woke things, on certain things about um, culture and race. But underlying, we're not going to give you anything. We're not going to increase your minimum wage. We're not going to give you health care. You know what I'm saying? We're not going to relieve student debt. Like I promised, $50,000. Now maybe $10,000. Zero. That's what it's going to be. And these are what's really disheartening about this is some of these things are things that he doesn't need approval for at all, that he could just do. And the fact that he's doing not even like the bare minimum, like below the bare minimum and is being praised for it. Like, I don't have a, a lot of hope. I hate to say it like that. I just don't where you had everything that happened last year. One of the things that, and I hate to go off on like a tangent, but like I was so pissed off last year was when the NBA players boycotted that those two games that one night and everyone was so fearful that they were going to go and boycott the rest of the season. And then nothing, all that power there they had to make corporations suffer, make people with money and power be like, what do you guys need right here, right now? So you can go in there and make us money. Just absolutely wasted. And that's how I feel like the rest of this year is going to be. Is just like people with power who could fight for us and do things for us. aren't. I wish that there would just be a little bit more awareness as to why black and brown communities are so hesitant to get it. And more like of the trauma behind Western medicine and the fact that we have been subjects to these sort of things. And like, I mean, I got the vaccine and I encourage people to, but um, with the clients that I work with who are predominantly black and Latinx, like a lot of them don't want to get it and their fear is very valid. Um, And I don't think our government has done a good job at just kind of identifying that and talking about it. And also just basic stuff like our testing centers here in the Twin Cities we're barely in any other languages. So we have a huge um, Spanish speaking community, but we're also, we have um, one of the biggest Somali uh, communities in the whole nation and Ethiopian and their languages were not represented. We have a big Hmong community, which is um, their Asian folks and none of that. Um, so we have a lot of immigrants here and they just did a really bad job at translating stuff and interpreting stuff. Um, and again, Kevin, you're talking about the bare minimum and stuff and they're not even living up to that. And that's really fucking sad. Thank you for sharing. And, and so with like right now, we, we're actually in the age of technology. We've probably been for the past like five to 10 years. And something that I've also noticed with this whole pandemic was that um, for like, for example, my grandparents, they, um, she, she or my grandmother, for, um, for example, she wasn't actually able to, because she she's not very techy, tech um, savvy. And so she couldn't necessarily sign up for an appointment. We had to, we had to ask uh, uh, my aunts um, to sign her up. And so there's a huge disparity amongst old people that I found throughout this whole pandemic. Also, as a teacher, you know, a lot of my students, they didn't necessarily have Wi-Fi. They didn't have hotspots. They didn't even have computer. And so I'm over here as a teacher, like you're absent. You get a zero for the day. You didn't turn in an assignment and all these other things because like, you know, that that's like the cards I've been dealt with. But, you know, after calling home, we figured these things out. We're personally enough to handing everyone has a computer now everyone has a laptop everyone has if they need so they got wi-fi they're gonna get um all these supplements but these are things we didn't necessarily had on day one 
in preparation for going online. Um, and so it's great to see like we have Zoom and we have all these other um, technology-based platforms. Um, but for my question for you all is, how did you think uh, technology and the age of technology performed over the past year? Um, well, uh, I think a lot more people know about Zoom now more than ever. Um, it's, it's funny because I remember uh, years ago, it was all about Skyping and now it's all about Zooming. Um, and now Zoom will be, you know, maybe it'll be different and we'll be all on Microsoft Teams. Um, speaking strictly, you know, working corporate for about a year now, use, just using all the different technology I have, um, we're, we're seeing a trend at, you know, in, in my workspace that if you do not have your technology skills up to par, if you are not um, being able to multitask like a teacher or, you know, a YouTube streamer where you've got multiple screens on or, you know, a, a stock ticker person, you've got four screens on you, um, you know, you're, you're kind of like marked as like, well, we'll, we'll see what happens in the next round of cuts. Um, you know, my, my organization had to lay off uh, you know, lots of people, unfortunately, and, and they did it uh, before holiday in particular. Um, and those people uh, I knew working with them, they had challenges working uh, with the technology early on, uh, you know, being remote. Um, I'm, I'm used to it. So I was able to, you know, adapt very quickly. Um, and I tried my best to, you know, uh, have everyone kind of learn from me too. But not everyone's going to be able to understand all these different, um, you know, ways to communicate. So uh, I think the technology has been pretty well, but whether or not um, people can adapt to it as quickly as, you know, I don't, I don't want to seem ages too, but at the same time, just knowing, hey, where's the best place to learn about Zoom meetings or the best practices of Zoom bombing, you know, whether it be your LinkedIn learning or um, your, uh, you know, different online spaces or even a, a, a YouTube search um, and just actively learning um, that that uh, can do a lot of work. And I, and I wish, uh, you know, my company said like, hey, here are the things you can learn from instead of kind of just let everyone fend for themselves for that little bit. Uh, I think it, it's twofold in a sense like technology always does well when it comes to making money, when it comes to someone's profit, you know, a corporation or individuals. And that's why you have certain people who are able to um, transition their business either online or, you know, work from home and all these things or, you know, make money with the stock market. But I, I think when it comes to like public services, I think technology has failed. For example, unemployment. You know, when you see lines of people in Florida just to get a form to fill out for unemployment. You know, like I think in New York, we were lucky that, you know, the website for New York works pretty well. But like, it's still not great. It's still confusing. And that's the best that I've heard or seen from most other states, you know, where websites don't work, they crash, you can't get in, there's no translations. Um, I look at us also when it comes to um, COVID, when it came to contact tracing, you know, like not really great. And then now under this administration completely kind of abandoned, you know, where it's just like, we're just gonna focus on getting a vaccine rollout and forget everything else. Scheduling vaccines, you know, like difficult if 
fear someone who doesn't know how to do technology. Or even when I remember um, me and my sister were trying to do it for my um, parents. And a lot of times like website would crash or I would say, you know, the service was unavailable. And I'm like, what do you mean it's unavailable? Why can't we schedule through right now? Like what's going on? So I, I, I think, you know, this pandemic in many realms, but especially this one, I think it has gone and shown that, you know, there needs to be a much better job when it comes to technology, when it comes to servicing people and helping people. I think that technology um, is a human right. And I think that this pandemic definitely showed that. Um, and I don't think that even myself included really thought of it as a human right. Uh, but now we see that it's really needed for everything. Um, our students, our babies cannot thrive without internet. Um, our houseless folks cannot do much without internet. Um, and it's just, it's needed. Um, and we were able to provide, you know, our youth who didn't have the technology needed for school um, and we were able to provide them internet and stuff like that, but it still took a while. Uh, I had a lot of youth that were still behind almost a month or two months because it took a while to get it rolled out to them. Um, and so, I mean, it played a huge, huge part of it. Um, but then kind of going back to Kevin, what you were saying about um, the NBA and like, you know, the stuff during the, the uprisings and like, you know, the pandemic had a huge part on like the season and stuff, but technology has also been used to be very, very performative um, during the uprisings and the pandemic. It's been a lot of like, we're here for you. And like a lot of commercials that are like talking about the pandemic and like these sad stories and like grandparents FaceTiming their babies and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but where's the money though? <laughs> what are y'all going to do to help us out? Um, so it's been performative as fuck. Um, and so, I mean, I don't know. So performative and uh, human right is all I got to say about it. Thank you, Lupita. For our next question now, how has your political, economic, and social awareness changed over the past year? So as far as politics-wise, um, you know, definitely there. that's something I need to be a lot more educated on. I think uh, I just... I haven't really just drilled down like, you know, where, what I feel about like, you know, certain politics and everything like that. Um, I'm very naive, definitely. And, and that's something I need to be educated on. Um, but as far as uh, economics and social awareness, um, you know, speaking to what Kevin said, like the, the fact that we were, you know, in a pen, we're still in a pandemic, uh, but then the news is filled with, uh, the stonks of GME and AMC and all this stuff, um, you know, and people have to put in their dwindling 401ks to make it double um, just so they can feel like, you know, they have uh, a nest egg that they can utilize because, you know, early in the pandemic, I remember people were talking about, oh, well, it's okay. They, they'll just use their savings. They can handle it. You know, <laughs> like, what savings are you talking about? We have student loans here. We've got rent here. We've got to feed ourselves. Uh, you know, we, we got kids, rent. Um, and it's not a cancellation. It's a postponement. The bill always comes due. So, you know, where's the money you're talking about from? Um, so you know, that has provided me an opportunity to learn more about like just our, our own 
fractured uh, capitalist economic situation that we have here where, you know, it's like we're at a peak and we're, we're going to go down. That's that's why I feel that, you know, there's definitely still some hope there. Um, and as far as uh, social awareness, um, you know, just leveraging the technology wise, uh, you know, I'm able to just still communicate with, uh, you know, my family members and, you know, a particular family member of mine, uh, you know, uh, I had a, a niece who's now transitioning uh, to uh, male. And so I'm learning more about like, you know, what a dead name is. So, you know, uh, she now she has she had a, a dead name. And now, you know, I'm now knowing more about that um, as her being trans. And so that's very interesting to me. Um, and it's, it's particularly interesting, because now I also have to educate, you know, her father, who is like, you know, old, it's uh, <laughs> like 70, not used to this, um, came from like the the mounds of, of uh, Ecuador. Um, so this is very different for him to learn. And so he comes to me because I have a psychology background and I'm like, well, psychology really doesn't train me for this, but you know, I'm, I'm also interested to just have these conversations with you. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we've, what I've been doing for this past year and months, those, those three things. Thank you. Yeah. I, I gotta say the fact that he's at least coming to you, you know, and being open about like, Hey, I want to be, or I want to understand more. And, you know, instead of a lot of people who would like just do the complete opposite, I think is an amazing thing. And it's amazing that you could be there to be part of that and help. And so like, this this kudos on, on that front. Uh, as far as me, <laughs> my politics, I think prior to, um, I guess I would see myself as like a progressive, leftist, and I'm more now like getting closer to being a socialist. Um, I think political wise, you know, I'm a poli-sci major. I've always been into politics, but just seeing how, and understanding how our system works and then seeing in this particular time when we need a government the most, see how it doesn't work, just really has gotten me to a place where I'm just like, you don't care about us. You're not going to really do anything about us. We're going to repeat this cycle over and over and over again, just over and over again. And, you know, it has been very disheartening. Um, I think socioeconomic wise also, I've gotten more into understanding um, modern monetary theory and understanding exactly what our government can do uh, with control of purse strings and just seeing all the money that has been spent in the past year, all the money that has been spent in the past year. And instead of having inflation, you had deflation. I'm like, yeah, you could have spent money on a whole bunch of things for us. You could have spent money and given us healthcare. You could have spent money or not even spend money. You could cancel student debt. You could spend money and give money to schools. You know, when we talk about, for example, the mass shooting we had the other day, you know, I'm, I'm a, a fervent supporter of gun safety, but I also know that it is socioeconomic inequality that creates the environment for crime. It's one of the biggest things is that. So you can work on just making our community so much better 
and our society overall so much better, but you have no desire, no political will to do so. So it's really gotten me to this place where I was just like, like I said, I have an exit plan. And it's a shame, not that I've had to do this because I'm not gonna ever stop fighting for people here. But I also know like I have to go where I know that my government would be willing to support me. You know, where you or we are here and we have a government that doesn't want to give masks, doesn't want to do this. And then we look at other countries, because like, for example, with my sister giving birth, I remember showing her like videos of what it is in other countries, like in hospitals, the food that they get, that people come to your home and check on you like weeks afterwards, make sure you don't have postpartum depression or like if you don't have enough things like Pampers. Even recently I shared a video where the government in Tokyo gave a care package to people who had COVID. Like two weeks of food, bottles of water, you know, like that's, and what's crazy about that is like, that's not even like the extreme, that's somewhat more of the norm outside. And so I realized that the US, we have been conditioned in such a way, pushed to rely on the, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And when you don't got, you know, boots or strings, you know, like you have people suffering, you know, so passing a stimulus bill that gives these one-time checks, what does that matter when you have months of rent that are backlogged, you know? And a lot of people don't talk about the fact that because this check went through reconciliation, there was no protection against garnishment. If you owe bills, credit card or whatever, they can come and take that check. So it's like absolutely just... I don't know what to say. It's not that I've been awakened. It's been more like I see even more. And, you know, I see that with all the things that have happened, what is it really that it's going to take for an awakening to be like, you know what, we're tired. You know, like we, we, we just can't take this no more because unfortunately I don't believe the politicians, at least on, you know, in Congress, who are supposed to be, or I would say they are our allies, but I don't think we have any champions in government. Any champions are going to say, hey, if you don't have $15 minimum wage in this bill, we're not going to pass it. We're going to vote against it. No one's going to do that. So when is that going to happen for us? I, I, just, I just don't know. And so this whole year has just awaken me even more and just, I don't know. I think the only thing I really can do is try to, I try to maybe educate some other people or I have conversations with my sister who is not really politically inclined, but who is, who sees things herself and like, yeah, they don't care. Thank you. And uh, Lupita? Um, yeah, I guess my views haven't really changed. So I don't know what you want to call me. My brother says I'm a communist. I don't know. But <laughs> um, I, again, yeah, basically what Kevin's saying is just like an awakening and kind of waiting for other people to get on board. Um, and I'm a Sagittarius. So I've been kind of going up to all my friends or not even my friends, my friends, obviously your friends are kind of very like-minded, but like my family and stuff and being like, I told you. 
I told you that this is what, you know, the government just doesn't care. Um, and so I think that has been, um, I guess, one of the silver linings to shit is that my parents and my brothers, I have five brothers, um, have been more so like, you're right, like this government doesn't care. And having those conversations with them, my family is from a small village in Mexico, or my parents are. And then my, they immigrated to Chicago, little village. Um, and then from there, I came to Minnesota. And I've always been me and my 17 year old brother, because, you know, this Gen Z TikTok generation is very aware of things and they're hilarious and I love them. But so me, him and I are the two that are very like, you know, fuck everything, like fuck 12, like da, 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 all this stuff. And our family always, has always been like, what the heck? My mom has always been like what are you doing to him and I'm like it's TikTok it's not even me um but um it's just cool to kind of see everyone on board and like the family group chat like actually being a chat of like people sharing articles and stuff um so that's been cool um like I said earlier if what's been happening for the past year hasn't radical radicalized you then it's I, I don't want to say that you are choosing not to but like you're kind of choosing not to like critically think Sorry for cussing a lot. I've been doing that a lot. I don't know if there's rules. <laughs> no, there, there isn't. You're good. <laughs> all right. So for, for our last question, um, with, with the rise of anti-Asian hate, how can we as Black, Indigenous, people of color build solidarity with our Asian-American Pacific Islander siblings? I mean, I really can't believe what I what I see on TV regarding this because, like, I you know, I to me, this is, like, just not natural to just hate like people in general because like i've i've grown up with a, a filipino family for forever i mean i call them my filipino family my mom knows basically my mom got pregnant at like 19 and there was another young pregnant woman at like 20 she was filipino and they had uh, babies together that was me and that was my cousin and i just call her my filipino family and the idea of like there's this like hate to to Asian people is like crazy to me because like where is this coming from? Like, is does there always need to be an enemy? Is that what we need as people? I can't believe like where where is this coming from? Like someone and then you hear like oh he had a bad day. Like what the heck are you talking about? I I can't believe what I'm hearing. This is one of the reasons why I have to like kind of stay away from social media and the television and just like sometimes i just go back to like watching mr rogers honestly i just go back to the stuff that i that i used to use when i was teaching children because like it reminds me to just hey you know look for the helpers and who are the helpers it's people like francisco making you know platforms and spaces where we can talk and you know all these other people but unfortunately that's not shown out in you know the media it's on it's not on fox news and so on uh, which i think would be very helpful it's like hey i'm feeling a certain way where's where can i talk to where can i you know people who are like minded like me not these hate groups on facebook and you know recently facebook was talking to like i think the senate or congress they said like hey uh, do you feel like you have any responsibility for these kinds of groups it's like yes or no question and none of them gave a yes or no answer it's always well, Congressperson, you know we're we're a tool, and so it's really up to them. Whether like no, 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 they're going to have to take some ownership in this. And I'll, I'll say it in this kind of really quick two point thing. I think, um, for example, when you mentioned Ricardo on social media, I had seen in 
um, I guess black Twitter, I don't know it's called black Twitter, but black Twitter, um, you know, someone had posted a comment where they were saying like, hey, Asians don't ride for us, why we should ride for them. And, you know, I respond, I was like, you know, you're right, more Asians should speak out when, you know, blacks and Latinos are facing racism and hate. But as I always say, like, we shouldn't look to what others do to determine how we should act. You know, our communities have been at the forefront of these battles. We need to support and we need to lead. So to go in and say like, hey, I'm not gonna ride for them, let them do, no. Riding for them and fighting for them benefits us. When you fight for someone else, you fight for yourself. You fight for the next person and so forth and so forth. So, you know, I look at us like us as like blacks and Latinos that, you know, I love seeing such outpouring of solidarity that I've seen for so much for the community. The second thing I want to say is politicians always use moments like this for their own personal self gain. And I bring up, um, and I don't know if you heard about like Tammy Duckworth, her and another senator were saying that, hey, to the Biden team that, if you don't put more Asians on your cabinet in positions, we're going to torpedo and not vote for bills. Now, it's ridiculous that she would go and say that, you know, if she wanted to say, hey, we have these people who we think you should have there because we feel they're more qualified and they're Asian. That's awesome. But like to go and like take advantage of this moment and say that is like absolutely disgusting. But the sad thing is, it's probably going to work because it's actually a use of power. And it's one thing that Blacks and Latinos and our politicians, our advocates, don't do it all. They don't do it all. They'll say like, hey, there are not enough Blacks, there are not enough Latinos, this and that. But they won't do a thing to change any of that and actually use power. So, yeah. Um, I guess the main thing for me would just be um, letting Asian folks have their voice. Um, there's a lot of oppression Olympics or whatever you want to call it going on. You know, the what about us and, you know, like Latinx play that card whenever Black folks have their moments. And it's just like, there's no point. Um, and I feel like we... I've seen it from Latinx folks as well as Asian folks, you know, kind of what Kevin was saying, like, where's the black community, this and that. And I think that we put um, things like this on the black community a lot. Um, and it's not fair. I don't know what big um, platform made this article, but it was like, what can blacks do to stand with the Asian community or what black Americans can do to stand with Asian folks right now or something like that. And it was just like, why is that the talk? Um, if, anything i just want to follow the lead of asian people in the community um and kind of hear them out because i i don't i know what i see on the news and you know what i see locally and stuff like that and what i hear from friends um but i don't necessarily know exactly what they want to be done um and so the most powerful thing that someone can do is listen and then take that and actually do something about it um so yeah just listen and actually do something. Um, so my question for you all now is, 
what were some of the lessons learned over the past year, whether all politically or just non-politically, just what, what are some lessons you learned over the year? So for me, non-politically, um, I think the, the biggest lesson I learned, uh, you know, being unemployed for those months and then going into this corporate job um, was that, you know, initially I, I thought I was going to be, you know, this role and, you know, very uh, administrative. Uh, and then since then, I've gone ahead and just made it my own um, without them telling me what I need to do. Um, so, you know, th this role was initially one way, now it's this completely different way. And I'm recognizing too that the office space is definitely not, um, you know, I guess it depends, but it really s showed me how like the, you know, the emperor had no clothes. The organizations that you work in that have all these like fancy spaces could really, you know, all their work could be just done online. Like there was no need for hundreds of people to be in that office, to pay all that money on rent, to pay like a seltzer machine that no one ever used um, and have people sitting at a desk for eight hours a day. Not at all. You can, the work I can do and lots of my other coworkers, it can be done within four hours. And since then, you know, we have this extra time and it's allowed me to recognize that you know, the financial anxiety that, you know, I had and continue to have, but to a lesser degree is, is not normal. You know, it, I remember about like always feeling like I needed to hustle that hustle culture, you know, find a way to monetize uh, my hobbies um, that, and it's, it allowed me not to even like those hobbies anymore. So just by even being remote, it's allowed me to just, you know what, just take a breath back, go back into, you know, what I really enjoyed before I got wrapped up in, in the rat race uh, of making money um, and looking good for, you know, further opportunities, you know, just work on my skill set, be myself, you know, have your, you know, build that authenticity back because, you know, that, you know, it, it reminds me of like, as children, we were our most authentic. And then it's not until a lots of other streams of thought and uh, perceptions are hit on you that you start to mesh and change. So it's really just going back to back to nature um, is what I'm uh, what I'm getting at what I've learned. I think for me, it, it's been more on the financial aspect of um, taking advantage of opportunities. For you know, example, like I missed out on the uh, dot com bubble when that burst, um, the Great Recession. When that, I was like, oh, I should get some stocks, but I didn't. And in this one, I was kind of like, whoa, are we? When the market crashed, I'm like, are is going to crash again? So I waited a bit. But then I said, you know what, I need to get into this because you know, even with what I was making, you know, a good salary um, in New York, it. it, it still not enough it's not enough to get out of the rat race so for me it was like all right hey how can i you know use the money that i've invested to pay me you know how can i make money work for itself and what more can i learn and these are discussions i've been having with more of my family members especially with you know uh, my sister having a newborn and be like hey how can we start putting money aside and investing now for him so that you know when he hits 18, there's going to be money, there's going to be income coming in. So he has his own essential like UBI coming in 
And then he can decide, hey, do I want to go to school? Do I want to work in corporate? Maybe I might want to work somewhere where I volunteer and don't make a great deal of money. But because I have money coming in in this other spot, I can do what I want to, what my passion is, if I want to, you know, help people or just whatever. And I think learning this has really got me geared towards being more in achieving financial freedom. And I think a lot of us, when we look at what's going on in the world is like, oh, how can we get things done for us? I think having the freedom and the financial freedom to do what you want is probably one of the most liberating things that people can do. So one of the things we've also done um, with my fraternity brother, my chapter, um, is having dialogues like, hey, I can work on getting your debt done, paying your credit card bills, or maximizing your 401k, your IRA, or HSA. Because I think once, especially your generation, with all the debt that you have on you, and, you know, like Ricardo was saying, you know, the mindset of, I have to monetize this, I have to hustle this to pay bills, to just basically survive, when you can get out of that mindset and just free yourself, life becomes so much better. Um, for me, I guess it's just been a lot of personal um, lessons and growth um, because I've had to be alone a lot. And um, I never really took the time to be by myself before. You know, I was always going out, um, whether it was like at a youth event or, you know, just going to the bar, doing karaoke night. Like I was out literally every single night. Um, and that's just how I was. Um, and then everything got shut down and I literally, <laughs> I started vlogging just to like see my progression. So I started vlogging and I was like, okay, like this is the first week of shutdown and like, this is how I feel. And this is, I feel like I'm going insane, whatever, whatever. Um, but then I started picking up on reading and like doing all these things and just doing a lot of self-reflection and journaling and stuff. Um, so that's something um and just really taking this time to like because all these things are coming to light you know what's wrong with their medical system what's wrong with our government in general all this stuff these things are being brought to light it has really made me think about what i want to do so like i miss working with youth and my education system and stuff like that um and so this time has just been for reflection to see what i really really want to do and work in because right now as a caseworker i don't I'm, it's i don't want to keep doing that um so yeah and then besides that kind of what um, Ricardo was saying, like, fuck the 40-hour uh, work system. Like, that shit is not needed. Um, and there's proof. So we'll just see how things play out moving forward because I don't see it going away, unfortunately. Um, but the proof is there. But again, there's proof for a lot of shit and they don't give a fuck, so I don't know. With that said, that is all the time that we have. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And for everyone at home, Make sure you like the video, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and listen into our podcast platforms from Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Music. Also, comment below. Describe your COVID-19 experience, what resonates. Then follow us on all our social media outlets at Latin underscore entertainment. That is Latin underscore entertainment. Join the Support Latina Business Facebook group. And check out our IG lives every Tuesday and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. See you next week as we discuss decolonizing versus indigenizing. All here on Conversamos.
Yeah, yo, is it that wrong? I'm making a song, I'm taking it back for the platform that I formed. Music's helping me transform. I run the